It's so great to see each and every one of you back here again as we are just closing out 2017 with one final message. And this morning, I I really want to share a message with you that doesn't come from some sermon series and it's not part of some deep theological or some exegetical study, but rather a message that comes straight from the heart. And I originally had something else planned for this morning, but as I was praying over this message and just kind of seeking what I, want, what I felt God was calling me to share with you and with me this morning and, and reading some of the prayer requests from last week, engaging some stuff that's happening in my own life, I really just felt God pushing on my heart to preach a message regarding brokenness, but more specifically about how to find beauty that exists in the midst of brokenness. And this is what I mean by that. How many of you have ever heard of the phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it? Or some variation of that. I think most of us can agree that we've heard this phrase before and we try our best to abide by this. It's our life philosophy, unless you're a teenage boy or a young adult like me, right? (laughs) You know, my philosophy is if I see something that's working perfectly fine, but may have a slight squeak or may not close all the way, I'll do whatever it takes to tweak it in order to make it better. And you can always find me with a a drill or with a screwdriver walking around the church or walking around my home just looking for things to fix in order to make better. There's no toilet seat, no doorknob, no windowsill, no garage door. Nothing is safe from me and my screwdriver. And I really do believe that this is something that stems from my childhood. See, because children, regardless of what age, they will do whatever it takes to make things better in their own eyes however they see fit to apply their skills. And this is how I wanted to live my life and how I kind of still live my life under this philosophy. And that's why whenever I get a tool in my hand, well, odds are trouble is bound to follow. And what I've realized is that over the years, my philosophy and mentality has changed. It's not necessarily this phrase, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I've changed it to be, if it's not broken, well, then allow it to break so you can make it better. Or you can take it apart and then try to make it better, but still have some pieces left over afterwards, right? We've all been there. But as I was thinking about that and really praying over that, I really felt God calling me to that phrase, that mentality and that way of life of, if it's not broken, allow it to break so I can make it better. You know what I realized? That that is so godlike. I truly do believe that is something that God says to you and to me every single day that we struggle with, that we have a hard time really understanding that. And to be honest, I had a hard time understanding what God was really talking about when he laid this message on my heart. How in the world am I going to use that and turn it into a sermon? And so I started looking through scripture to see if I could find anything that would remotely help me understand what he was saying to me. And I came across this passage in Psalm 34, and it says this, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. See, folks, the truth is that sometimes in some situations, in some circumstances of life, I truly do believe that God wants us to break. Because it's in that state of brokenness we learn to surrender to him so that he can gain control of the situation. And sometimes God has to knock us flat on our back because he knows it's the only way that we'll stop and look up at him. And when we find ourselves in the midst of that brokenness, 
when we find ourselves dealing with hurt or pain or frustration or anger or whatever it may be in that moment, that's when God promises to be close to us. He says, I promise to be close to the brokenhearted, to give you encouragement, nourishment, strength, wisdom, guidance, whatever it is that you need in the midst of your brokenness, I'm there. But it only comes when we learn to give that brokenness to him, to realize how powerful he is and really just how much we have to learn. You know, Oswald Chambers was a Scottish minister at the turn of the century, and he said it this way, when God gets us alone through suffering, heartbreak, temptation, disappointment, sickness, or thwarted desires, a broken friendship, or a new friendship, when he gets us absolutely alone, and we are totally speechless, unable to ask even one question, then he begins to teach us. See, folks, I think that brokenness truly comes when we stop trying to fix things ourselves. When we're able to surrender and say, God, yeah, I know that it hurts. God, I know that I'm broken, but I'm going to learn to trust in you in this moment. I'm going to give it over to you and allow you to truly take control. But it involves me surrendering and giving up something that may be hard to do. You know, when I was a, a young boy, I used to carry around a stuffed animal with me that I referred to as doggy. And he was my best friend and Doggy and I would travel everywhere. In fact, Doggy is even going to help me preach the rest of this sermon this morning. So, so Doggy is going to sit here and just judge all of you who are not paying attention. So I would always carry Doggy around with me and he wasn't the best looking stuffed animal. His color would fade rapidly. His eyes would constantly wear off and he, he wasn't really much of an animal to look at, but I considered him my best friend growing up. And I would take Doggy with me everywhere to the point where Doggy would always get dirty. And I guess at one point, as I'm told, my mom tells me this story and she can verify she's here today. But at one point, Doggy was just filthy. So she decided that Doggy needed to get a wash. So I struggled back and forth, letting go of Doggy. But Doggy finally made it into the washer and made his cycles and then made it into the dryer and made his cycle in the dryer. And I was eagerly waiting with anticipation for that buzzing sound of the dryer to be finished. And when it was done, I, I ran over, opened the door, and I grabbed Doggy, and I held him close and just felt the warm embrace of a best friend or like a stuffed animal that just came out of the dryer, right? And it's just, you know, feeling so comfortable in that moment. I was so happy to be reunited with my best friend that it was in that moment I looked down to gaze upon Doggy and noticed his eyes were missing. And traumatized and horrified and panic, I guess I, I ran and I took Doggy and I held him up to my mom and I said, Mommy, Doggy blind! And panicked. And I guess part of me may have felt that I had betrayed my best friend, that I had let him go for just a short period of time and something bad, something traumatic had happened to him. And I was responsible. I was at fault. And I didn't want to let him go. I didn't want to release him in fear that something else even greater may happen from it. But it was then my mother said something to me that I will never forget. She says, Matthew, I can't fix him until you let go of him. You know what, folks? I truly believe that's what God is saying to you and to me today. I can't fix you until you let go of it. You know, a lot of us have come into this place this morning with some kind of brokenness that exists in our lives. Maybe it's a broken relationship, a broken marriage, a broken family, a broken working environment, a broken spirit, a broken health, maybe a broken faith, a broken trust, maybe a broken confidence. Whatever it may be, we all struggle with brokenness. 
And we spend so much time trying to gather all the pieces back together and trying to form it back into a shape, but it only causes us more hurt and more pain and more heartache and more grief. The harder we try, the more difficult it becomes for us. Folks, God is saying to you and me this morning, you don't have to live this way. You don't have to go into 2018 feeling like your brokenness is a bad thing, like it cripples you or it's some kind of weakness that exists in your life but rather he wants to take it and make it something strong. He wants to allow it to break your brokenness, to physically break so he can make it better. But I know that it's difficult because we really have a hard time truly accepting this. And the reason why is because we live in an age of disposability. And that's not a word, but I'm going to make it for this point of the sermon. But we live in an age of disposable everything. You can't tell, but that's just a pile of old cell phones on the screen where when something is broken, when something is out of date, we don't fix it. It's easier for us just to toss it and get a new one. But you see, God never works that way. God rarely ever gives us the easy road out. He says, look, I know it's going to hurt. I know it's going to be painful, but I need to see you get to that point of brokenness, that point of despair, of hurt, of questioning, of doubt and fear, because it's in that moment that you learn to surrender. It's in that moment you learn that you can't control this any longer and you need someone else, someone greater than you to fix the brokenness that exists in your life. But you have to let it go. And once again, I know that's the hardest thing because we have a hard time letting go of things in life, don't we? And if I'm being open and vulnerable with you, that's one of the things I struggle with the most of letting go. I'm the kind of guy that likes to bottle up or hold in my emotions or my feelings or how I am reading or how I'm dealing with a certain situation. And I phrase that it's just easier that way because it doesn't really affect other people and it doesn't really affect my life if I just kind of sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. And maybe some of you out there this morning are just like that. It's always us quiet types. But what I've learned over the last couple of weeks is I'm so wrong but that is not the way that God wants us to live this life. God has so much more in store for us. He has a healing and a restoration that he wants to give us if we become vulnerable with him, if we give our brokenness over to him and truly allow him to fix us from the inside out. See, maybe most of you are like me. When you sense that brokenness or those cracks start to form in your life, the first thing you do instead of sharing it is you grab some emotional cement and you just fill in the cap. You patch over it, pretending like nothing has happened. And you go out into the world and everybody who looks at you thinks everything is perfectly fine. But on the inside, you know the reality. And it lasts for a while. Everybody is fooled for a while, but eventually under pressure, it cracks. And so you grab your emotional cement and you fill in that gap, that gap again and you patch it up, making sure everything looks okay and you go back into the world like nothing ever happened. And you continue this pattern over and over and over again each time the patch lasting shorter amounts of time until one day, the patch doesn't hold anymore. It's full of so much compressed stuff. It just comes oozing out. Everything you've tried to hide, everything you've been bottling up inside is just pouring out of you. At that point, you have a decision to make. You can either choose to try to patch it up again, knowing that it's going to fail because it's the weakest part of your life. Or you can choose to say, you know what? I need help. I can't do this on my own. 
I need someone to come and clean me from the inside out to remove everything that I've been bottling up, to remove everything that I feel is broken on the inside. I need to surrender it so someone can make me whole again. So someone can restore me and is something even better than before. And folks, that's God's plan for you. That's what God wants to do to you. He wants to restore your life and to make you into something even better. But how does he do this? Well, I think we just have to look at the word restore. The word restore is used over a hundred times in scripture. And each time it's used, it's a medical reference, meaning to set a broken bone. And I really liken this to the Christian faith because as sin enters our life, as we struggle with brokenness in our life, we try to sweep it under the rug and pretend like it's not affecting us, that it's not bothering us, that we'll be okay. But the more that we try to ignore it, the more painful it becomes, the harder it is to deal with because we see brokenness as weakness, as a vulnerability. But God says, no, I want to change your mind. Don't see these things as the weakest part of your lives, but see them as some of the most beautiful parts of your life because there's beauty that exists in brokenness. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Think about if I were to break my leg, I would be put on crutches. As I'm on crutches, my arms and my other leg are going to have to compensate and support the lack of weight that I can place on my other leg. And as I go through this healing process, my arms and my other leg are going to become stronger than ever before because they're working overtime. And if my leg is allowed to properly heal, once it's done, it even becomes stronger itself than ever before. See, the body is a pretty amazing thing. Or think about an illness or a sickness. The more often that you get sick, the more diseases and more things that you're susceptible to, the more your immunity builds up against it. The stronger you become, the more that you break. Or think about a piece of iron. If a piece of iron breaks, when it's welded together, it becomes one of the strongest points of that piece of iron. Or if it's tempered, meaning to have extreme pressure by extreme heat, it even becomes stronger as an entire whole than ever before. Same thing as tempered glass. Or if a surgeon makes an incision in the heart, if allowed to properly heal, it becomes the strongest part of the heart. You see, folks, our entire world is telling us and showing us that brokenness is not a bad thing. That brokenness is a good thing because it leads to something greater. It leads to something better. So if it's not broken, allow it to break. Stop trying to hold it together to prevent it from breaking. Allow it to break so God can take it and make it into something better. Because God has a habit of doing that. Two passages come straight to my mind when I think about this. One is from the book of Judges. Gideon has this massive army of over 32,000 soldiers. And he's facing the Midianite army, which well outnumbers his army. But over the course of time, his army has dwindled down to 300 men and he panics. And he prays to God saying, God, what do I do? We're outnumbered. We're surely going to die in this instant. And God says, I want you to take a couple trumpets, a couple torches, and a couple empty jars. And I want you to break the jars. I want you to light the torches and blow the trumpet. I'm sure Gideon's like, God, that's not going to work. Like this is nothing compared to this massive army that's in front of us. We need warriors. We need more men. But Gideon was willing to surrender his pride. He was willing to surrender what he felt was best and allow God to take control. And you know what happened? A noise arose so much that it sent the Midianites into confusion and they ended up slaying one another to where Gideon and his 300 men didn't even have to go into battle. See, God took brokenness and he turned it into salvation. He turned it into safety. 
Or if you look at the book of Matthew, Jesus is preaching on a hilltop and thousands of people have come to hear him, but there's a problem. They're hungry. They're starving. There's no market open. There's not a plentiful bounty of food around them, but there's this little boy with a basket of some fish and some bread. And what does Jesus do? He reaches in and he breaks the bread and he breaks the fish and he feeds all 5,000 people that are there. See, Jesus turned brokenness into life, into nourishment, into sustainment. See, folks, the Bible is full of example after example after example of God breaking things and making them amazing, allowing miracles to come when people are willing to surrender their brokenness and allow God to fully have control. God even uses broken people to accomplish great things. Just think about Abraham. Before Abraham was the father of nations, he and his wife were considered barren and couldn't have children. Think about Moses. Before Moses led the people out of slavery in Egypt, he was a fugitive running from the law. Think about Joseph. Before Joseph became the king of Egypt, he was sold into slavery by his family. Think about Job. Before Job had riches and wealth and everything he could possibly imagine and more, he had lost everything. His family, his home, his health. He had nothing left. Think about Peter. Peter preached to 3,000 people and brought them into the kingdom of heaven. But before that, what happened? He denied Jesus three times. Think about Paul. Before Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles, he was blinded on the road to Damascus. See, folks, brokenness can be a good thing. If you surrender, if you give it over to God, he wants to take your brokenness and turn it into something amazing, something that you can't even possibly imagine that is in store and that is awaiting you. But it all comes when you learn to surrender and you learn to give it over to him and allow him to take control. And there's no better passage in scripture I can think to illustrate this story than the one from Luke chapter 7. And this story I've read to you before, but I want to share it with you again this morning because I think it's so pivotal to what we're talking about. It says this in verse 36. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, but neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. See, folks, this woman was broken. 
She knew that she was broken. She's lived a tough life. She's probably tried to piece and make sense of her life as long as she could remember, but nothing seemed to work. And she hears that Jesus is at this Pharisee's house and nothing is going to stop her from getting in front of Jesus. She works her way through the crowd, through the ridicule, through the mockery, having those awkward glances staring at her. And she falls to the feet of Jesus and she lays her brokenness in front of him and in front of everybody there to see. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't judge her. He doesn't condemn her. He doesn't send her away. He restores her. He heals her. He allows her to become a new creation because she was willing to surrender. You know, we don't know anything else about this woman. She's nameless and she doesn't appear anywhere else in scripture. But I see this as an example of how I want to lay all the brokenness of my life at the feet of Jesus. And I can't wait to get to heaven to ask her, what did you go on to do next? Because I'm sure it was something amazing. See, God wants to take your brokenness and turn it into something amazing. You just have to learn to stop holding on so tightly to it, thinking that you can fix it yourself. And stop seeing it as a weakness, but see it as something beautiful that God wants to take and enhance and make to the most amazing part of who you are in your life. I'd like to close this morning by telling you a couple of real life stories that also could help me illustrate this point. Aaron Ralston in 2003 was hiking when a boulder fell on his right arm where he was pinned for four days without food, water, or rescue. Sensing kind of despair and knowing that he needed to get out of there, he ended up using a dull pocket blade knife and he amputated his own arm to get free. In 2012, Aaron Langworthy was bungee jumping in Australia off the Victoria Bridge when her bungee cord snapped and she fell 360 feet into the water below her where she had to swim through crocodile infested water to dry land with a broken collarbone. Think about this, Claire Champlin in 2010 in The Amazing Race was hit in the face by a watermelon being propelled by a slingshot. In 2008, Salim Sidri was pierced through the chest by a javelin in the Olympic Games in a sport he wasn't even competing in. Or in 2010, David Striegel, a marathon runner, was left bloodied and bruised and beaten, assaulted and knocked unconscious by a wild kangaroo. See, folks, all of these stories are pretty amazing, but what the most amazing part behind every single one of them is when they were all asked about their experience, they said almost the identical same thing. You know what it was? Could have been worse. Things could have been worse. In the midst of their brokenness, in the midst of their tragedy, there was a silence that overcame them that knew something better will come from this. That I'm not going to let this one instance defeat me and hold me captive or see it as a weakness or a vulnerability, but I'm going to take it and do something great through it. Let me tell you folks, every single one of these people went on to do some pretty great things. Every single one of them did. And the sad reality of life is that tragedy and brokenness, it's a part of every single one of our lives. And when you wake up and you realize that your, muse, your life is just this museum full of disappointments and failures and dead ends of situations and circumstances that you have no control over, or when you feel like you're just floating in the sea, adrift being tossed back and forth by the question of what do I do now or why me? Or if you feel like your guardian angel put in his two weeks notice two months ago and just forgot to tell you. Or if you've been punched in the throat by life. It's that point that you get up and you stand tall and you know that God is still there. Despite the brokenness, despite the tragedy, 
Despite the hurt, God is there. And if you surrender to him, he will do amazing things through it. And so we can't be afraid to give God our brokenness, to release to him, to stop seeing it as something so bad and rather see it as a stepping stone to something even greater, something that can exist out there. And don't get me wrong, it's tough. I know that it's tough. I liken it to muscle. You know, muscle is intentionally made by lifting things that were meant to weigh you down. And I think that when you feel like life is weighing you down, when life is hard, that you just want to crawl into a ball in the corner and suck on your thumb and give up on the world, that's the time when God calls you to stand up, to hold your head up high, to lift your chin to the, the air and consider all as exercise because life is just like a gym membership with a really difficult cancellation policy. But to know even in the state of brokenness, even in the state of despair, even in the state of tragedy that God is there and he will never give you anything that you can't handle, ever. And daily he gives us a reminder that he is there. It's like the human heartbeat. The human heart beats over 4,000 times an hour and each beat, each pulse, each circulation of blood is a trophy in and of itself to engrave the words, guess what? You're still alive and you can get through this because your God is greater than whatever it is that you're facing right now. But it only comes, healing and restoration only comes when you learn to surrender. And you're the only one that can choose to do that. It's a mindset, folks. You can choose to go into 2018, not seeing your brokenness as the weakest part of your life, but as one of the most beautiful parts of your life, knowing that God is there, God is in control, and he's about to make you into something better something stronger, something beyond your wildest dreams. And so if you're here this morning and you're struggling with some kind of brokenness and you're afraid to let go, I encourage you, I challenge you, I exhort you, I persuade you to don't be afraid to let go of your brokenness, to give it to God, to surrender it to him because he makes all things new. To lay it before the feet of Jesus because he wants to make you into something beautiful, but you have to be willing to do it. Let's pray. Father, God, we are just so grateful to be alive. Father, to have breath that fills our lungs, to have blood that flows through our bodies. God, I pray that you just help us to see brokenness doesn't define us. Father, these situations, these events, these tragedies, these dark sparks of our life, Father, they aren't things that are, are considered weakness, Father, but they can be strengths. Father, we know without a doubt that you can take anything and make it beautiful, Father. That you can make it good, that you can make it better, that you can make it stronger. So, Father, I pray that we would just surrender our brokenness to you. Father, and stop seeing it as something that weighs us down, but to see the beauty that you provide in the brokenness. Father, I pray that we would just come and fall at your feet this morning. And give our lives to you, Father. Stop trying to assert control. Stop trying to fix things we know we have no control over. But Father, that we would truly come and lay our lives down at your altar. We love you, Father. We pray this in your name.